Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Swarm, a design podcast brought to you by Cicada. I'm your host, Seamus McGuire. And I'm your host, James Catalano. Seamus, we had a lot of great compliments from episode one with our guest, Mary Grace. We would like to thank Mary Grace for being our first guest and helping explain the development world to our listeners. Seamus, tell everyone um, the story about our youngest fan. Yes, so the youngest fan. This is such a good story. So a client of ours um, was listening to the podcast in her car with her 11-year-old daughter who loved hearing about Mary Grace so much that she was like, I want to grow up to be just like Mary Grace. That's so great. I love it. It's... I was so blown away by that. I thought it was an extraordinary compliment, and I had to text Mary Grace immediately and let her know about it. And because we're getting a lot of requests to hear more about the inner workings of our new business, we'll be introducing intermediate episodes that focus more on Cicada and also highlight projects we personally find interesting here in New Orleans. All right, so James, tell everybody about, about the burgers. Okay, so if you've been following our Instagram feed, you've probably noticed that we've had quite a few images of burgers and milkshakes that seemingly have nothing to do with architecture or design. But I believe we're about to find out that it has more in common than you think. Watch out. Yeah, so I am happy to introduce our next guest, owner and chef of the restaurant Company Burger, Mr. Adam Biederman. Adam, thanks for joining us. Man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Adam, tell us, how did you get into the burger business, and was this the first business you have ever had? So, technically, it's the first business that I've ever had. Uh, my family's been in the jewelry business for 100 years this year, actually, oh, no in, way. New, in New Orleans, opened in 1918. I lived in uh, Athens, Georgia, and Atlanta, Georgia, after I graduated high school, and basically the, cut my teeth in Atlanta between 2005 to 2009. Okay. Um, ran a couple of restaurants as a sous chef and then an opening chef de cuisine uh, at a restaurant that opened up in 2007, 2008, and then I left in 2009 to move home. Um, so that's kind of was like my formidable years. I call that my PhD because, I, like I said, not a lot of formal training. So learning how to run that business and like opening a restaurant, seeing it built, building it all, hiring the whole nine yards, like living in that restaurant. I worked 90 hours a week for about three years. Wow. And, you know, I don't say that complaining. I say that it's just, I mean, back then, that's what it, it's still what it takes. But I, I came up in the business in a very old school way. Uh, so, so as you're going through this process, cutting your teeth on just these conventions that are essential to business uh, performance in your future, but at what point are you like, hey, I'm, I know I want to do my own my own thing. So I was in fine dining most of my career, working, you know, the hours, the whole, that whole story you kind of, that kind of gets spun about like the restaurant business and the hours and the misery and all that stuff is kind of true, you know, mm -hmm. but like it takes a certain type of personality to enjoy it. And it's an artistic thing and you want to give up a lot of yourself to do it. And at the end, hopefully it pays off. And I was very fortunate to, to be able to move home and have that support. But I was, I woke up one day, I was 29. I had just finished like maybe an 80 hour week you know, finish brunch and all that stuff. And I woke up on Monday on my day off and, and I was like, this isn't good enough at all. And, uh, you know, so I started going through this process of, of seeing what I could do to change and how I could change my, my situation. And nothing was bad. It just wasn't going to get much better. Right. You know, it was like 2009. It was like still in the midst of the Great Recession. Like all the, the restaurant wasn't exactly like, it was wildly popular. We were semifinals for a Beard Award. I was experiencing more personal growth and success than I had ever experienced in the business. 
Um, I was benefiting from all of this shared experience with the other three of the partners that own that restaurant that are pretty much my extended family now. So there was all these like other intangible things I was learning, I was learning how to not do a lot of things, which I think is incredibly important as well. Every chef I've known in Atlanta opened up this jewel box, philosophical, ego-driven, sort of like, here's my life and experiences on a plate, bow down to it, and not like in a really condescending way, but there was a lot of, you know, it was just a lot of ego, and everyone has ego, and especially right. in our business, and it drives right. a lot of things, and that's fine. But I saw what people had to do to support these particular visions, and I, I wanted to have something easier, honestly. Like, maybe not easier, but all, easier and maybe more simple. Uh, and focus on one or two things and do them really, really, really well. And that's kind of what always drives us. It's like, I, I, you know, there's a common saying in the cocktail business, a great drink can, needs only to be three ingredients. Mm -hmm. You know, a great cheeseburger only needs to be a few things. And if you do those things as well as you possibly can and do it yourself, typically, you know, it should be really, really amazing. And that's kind of where I was coming from. But I didn't want, you know, a linen budget that was huge. I didn't want to, a silverware budget. I didn't want a wine list. I didn't want all of these things I had grown up in and, and was kind of like, I wanted to be manageable. I wanted, I wanted it to be for everyone. And I wanted to reach as many people as I could, and I wanted to be able to control as much as I could. Well, and it, it certainly has. Uh, your burger business is one of the top, certainly in this area, if not in the country. Um, you're doing amazing. Yeah, you're doing amazing. <laughs> um, since you opened your doors in 2011, uh, no other burger business has won more awards. That's specific to New Orleans. I know Brett Anderson from the Times Speaking Union has said that it is the best burger in New Orleans. You have accolades from Thrillist, Gambit, Food and Wine, Esquire, and CNN, and the list goes on, I'm sure. Yes, it does. What is the secret? I mean, like I said, it's the secret is, is there's no secret. Yeah. Um, I could tell you exactly how we do it, but no one is going to be able to do it as well as we will every single day and every single burger. And, and that's consistency is one of, you know, you hear it all the time. Consistency is one of the most important things. And, and that's especially true for us. So we control the process from before it even comes in the door to when it hits the trade and goes out to the guest. So when you say before it comes into the door, what does that mean? So I source um, all the meat we use is from a very specific uh, place. It's Creason Farms. It's in Arkansas City, Kansas. Okay. Uh, it's their second highest uh, graded level of beef. It's pretty much what's called upper two-thirds choice. Like you hear, you know, choice, select, yada, 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 prime. Right. Upper two-thirds choice is like on the very high end of, of, of choice, almost prime. And in fact, some of the stuff looks like it could be prime. Okay. Um, it's just how they do their grading, and, and how that's they how they sell that? it. How, how they get, they it's all inspected. Beef? It's oh. USDA comes through, and they, you know, you look at how much marbling is in the is in the beef, and that particular piece that they're that they're looking at gets a grade on it, and that you know they look at one particular spot for like a half a cow, and uh, or half a carcass, you know, dry weight carcass is what they call it, and um, and that whole thing gets a grade then, and then it gets assigned a price based on that grade. So we pull in. In my opinion, it's the best chuck and brisket that you can buy in the world for a cheeseburger. Because there's no point right. in doing prime. You're not going to notice a big difference. It's kind of a, that's like a bit of an indulgence. Or Kobe or all of these things you hear, that's these buzzwords now. That's fine. I mean, that's fine for specific things. But for our little thin patty, you know, our, our thin patties on the griddle, the upper, what we use is, is the best. And I've tried it all. 
And we try it all constantly. About every three months, I bring in different ranch ranches. I bring in different cuts. I bring, we try it probably three times a year just to see if anything out there holds candle to what we do and we haven't switched yet. I think it's worth just explaining the burger, the anatomy of the burger from the company burger. It's pretty. <laughs> it's a pretty simple burger. It's like five things, four things. Five, and so you have an amazing bun. Your patty's very thin. Super juicy. The company burger itself is two patties, correct? Yeah, double che- classic American double cheeseburger. No lettuce, no tomato? No lettuce, no tomato. Now, why is that? B-Y-O-L-T. <laughs> like the first Sunday we were open, we did about 835 people. And in the middle of that day, and that's in 10 hours, we closed. Between, we had to close between 3 and 5 to keep up with the demand. Wow. wow. We, we hadn't done that yet, but this first Sunday was the fourth day we were open. And then we were doing lettuce and tomato. Uh, which uh, was not my decision. It was my business partner, a.k.a. Joe Biederman, my father's decision. Throwing he Joe could under not the bus. Handle, not, I will throw him under the bus every day. <laughs> but he, like, he doesn't mind. He can sell jewelry, though. He can sell a house. You need a diamond ring. Go see my father. So he, my sister. He, he broke the simplicity of the burger. Everyone else has lettuce and tomato and on it. That's why they like it. And, that, and it's fine. I eat burgers every, every week with lettuce and tomato on it. Like, I'm not... You know, like, uh, whatever, but it's just not this burger, but he couldn't handle it. It was the middle of that Sunday, and we were trying to recover. There was still a line out the door, and, like, we're slicing lettuce and tomato, like, to order, basically, on a slicer, where we're trying to season things and, like, put out food. And I stood on the line, and I was like, I, 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 I've I, made a horrible mistake. Did you have a nightmare that night where you were, like... I was living a nightmare that day. Okay. I saw the whole. I saw like my. Like I saw my dad's house being repossessed. Like I saw like me like being a dishwasher somewhere. You know, which is not obviously a bad thing, but coming from you know like, it it was just one of those things where your stomach turns over and you want to vomit and run away and hide in a closet. Yeah. And and it took it took getting rid of that and it took getting this little cart to put all the seasoning trays on transformed the business entirely. Entirely. And you do have very unique seasoning for a burger place. Yeah, just salt. Well, where does the turkey burger come from? Is that a passion or we, is that... I've never had a good turkey burger until we started doing ours. And it's all thighs. We grind it ourselves. That's the thing. We grind a, you know, a case of, of turkey thighs ourselves at the warehouse. It just gets scooped, seasoned, sauteed, you know, cooked on the griddle. And then like, I just wanted it to be interesting. So you go with like the sweet and sour tomato jam, herbaceous green goddess, arugula for you know, quote-unquote lettuce. Again, but arugula is a vegetable. It is not a lettuce. A vegetable. So technically, I'm still lettuce-free. <laughs> Joe, that's free. And, that was a dig for you. Yeah. You hear that, Pops? But no, like, it, I just wanted... <laughs> we had to have alternatives. You can't just make a restaurant. You can't build a restaurant and invest that much and have, like, two things in there. I mean, that's a little... That's like food truck kind of avenue. But I wanted to do that and the turkey burger and I mean and the lamb burger and all of those other things because those are just things I felt we should have, you know. Simplicity. So you master the craft, you right. master the ingredients, high quality ingredients. And I can tell how enthusiastic and passionate you are about the food that you make. Do you carry that passion in other aspects of the business? So in specifically in our terms, is it do you take the design to that level? Are, are you down to the, the nuts and bolts of the space that you create? Mm-hmm. Right. And there's and for fast casual in particular, counter service or whatever you want to name it, there has to be a lot of rhyme to the, or a lot of reason, you know, to the rhyme and reason. It ha- everything has to flow. And I, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't, I hadn't gone to school for, you know, I hadn't gone and taken a course somewhere and this is how you do a fast casual restaurant because they all kind of operate under the same principles 
Um, I knew nothing about any of this. And uh, my architect had built nothing but banks up to this point. And this was her big food job, her, her deal, because she had only been at the firm for a couple of years. You took a chance, potentially on Ferret Street, in a sense that Cure is there. The, the street is now, um, it's, it's kind of vacant of businesses. So the chance, in, in a way, is you know, you're putting your neck out there in a location where there's not a lot of business. Um, I mean, that had to have been scary. It was super scary, and I didn't think I'd be on Fred Street until literally the day before I signed the letter of intent. And I was negotiating on this space, and it fell through after eight months. And so it was like December 15th, and I was like, oh, cool, I've got like no money left. I've got no real estate, you know. And the whole world's going to pass me by, and I'm just going to be working for the rest of my life in someone else's restaurant. And actually, Neil forwarded me an email about the space becoming available, which it wasn't six months pr prior. Okay. I had a check in his hand for the letter of intent within five hours. Wow. Because that was where I went. I actually cooked for Fret Fest in 20, 2009, early 2010. I cooked the 2010 Fret Fest. I cooked burgers on a flat top, on like a, like a griddle pan, on a grill that I borrowed from my friend off yes. the back of a truck. <laughs> yes. I cooked burgers for Fret, for Fret Fest for that, just with a sign that just said the burger on it. it you guys. It was a company burger. This is proof. It, you can do <laughs> In it. In that parking if you, lot. If you were out there and you want to start your business, listen to this. You yeah. know, like, it takes a lot of experience and a little bit of luck yeah. and a perfect storm of timing. And, and a, Total and a, timing. And a lot of just self, self-will and desire to like do it. I mean, get out there and go do it, you know? So I, mean, I commend that, Adam. I just wanted amazing. to make cheeseburgers, man. Yes. That was it. Like People kept asking me, they're like, why are you doing this? I'm like, because I like cheeseburgers, and they're delicious. Um, and so I cooked them in that lot in 09. It was like super prophetic that That's in amazing. 2010, I had secured that spot. Okay. You know, And it was literally a 2,500-square-foot show. I think, really, your voice comes across in your spaces. They're all, you know, the two locations are very similar in how they're, they're set up, the materiality that's used, the processes of where you get the condiments and, you know, where you place orders, et cetera. So walk us through the, the, the steps of just the design and how someone kind of experiences the company murder. All right. So, well, first day that my architect and I met, I was like, hey, you know, we introduced ourselves. And she was like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? We're, <laughs> we're selling cheeseburgers. I'm like, how do you think we should do this? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I figured you would have an idea. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. So we both don't know what the hell we're doing? So I was a little concerned, but once we kind of got the ball rolling, you know, just like answering and having some conversation and, and all that, it, it went really well. And she was amazing and, and helped me immensely. We That's both awesome. learned together. But the whole point is being on kind of like, I always thought about it like being on a stage and having your audience. And that's why we did like this, like left hand justification of the kitchen. Also, that was the only place in the entire building we could put. Ladies the and gentlemen, justification. This is coming from owner of Company Burrow. This is fantastic. I'm loving it. Yeah. You, have, you have a direct analogy to a theater and it's perfect. It's a we performance. We are stage left upon entering. <laughs> you will sit stage right and you will eat. Um, no, but I mean, it, it, you wanted a stage and you wanted an audience, right? right. And, and it had to flow kind of in a linear fashion. You get, you order your food, you get your drink, and then you go sit down. And then in that, in those days, before we had the second location, we called your name. So you actually That's had to right. go sit down and then get your ass up to get your food. Right. But uh, it was it was just fun to kind of watch that whole system evolve. So you have to get up to get your mayo, more drinks. So there was a little bit of like consternation from a guest side with that. But from a, from an architectural standpoint, then you guys made a conscious decision 
to reveal your kitchen. So right. as a... Oh, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. So, I mean, so for example, so, you know, you order, um, it's a nice open airy space. Uh, the materiality choices are very uh, raw in nature in a sense of concrete and tile and stainless steel desks. Or Easily tops. cleanable surfaces. Easily is cleanable, which is... Asked for. It's brilliant. Um, but so you order, you get your condiments and drink, and you sit down, and you can literally watch your burger being made, right. which at the time was very unique. Right, because it brought the energy of the kitchen into the dining room. Right. And, and that's something that's a little dangerous because a lot of chefs like don't want anyone to know what they're doing. Like Behind those doors is where the magic happens. You could be really corny mm. about it, but that's kind of true. A lot of people feel, and from fine dining, a lot of people feel like that. They want... The door to whisk open and a server who's, you know, whatever, with, you know, had this food and a place in front of you. There's so much ceremony behind it. And I was just like, come on, it's a cheeseburger. Right. Right. It sounds like it's a cheeseburger. You like it to be uh, simple and approachable. Right. And that's what people, I think that's why people kind of just flock to it because there's no fluff. It's, right. This is a really good burger. There's the chef making the burger right yeah. there. This is where I sit down and enjoy it. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. And I want... What we're doing back there, people to be like, oh, that's kind of cool. And they all people have sat there like for hours, not no, hours, but they've always had to figure it out. They're like, you know, and, and more importantly, it was, it was because I wanted my personality to be driving it. And, and the people behind the kit in the kitchen, for better or for worse, to be driving it. And we would all kind of be better for it um, and learn like how to engage on a social level. You know, with the people that were paying and supporting us and supporting right. the business. And that was very important to me. And it still is every day. And that's a struggle because I'm not at, on that line every day anymore. And I try to be as much as possible. And that's just the way it works. But so that was the most important part was my personality and me taking care of people. I want them. They're in your house. They're in your kitchen, literally. So you should work very, very, very hard at making them incredibly comfortable and incredibly satisfied and attending to all of their needs. And that's a plus from the, from the hospitality side, just in general. And I wanted to apply all of those positive principles to a, you know, a $12 meal, right. $15 meal. Like there's n For me, I saw no barrier between the level of service and attentiveness we could give customers in a fast casual cheeseburger restaurant than what you could give in a five-star, three Michelin star restaurant. That's a great point. Love it. So what what are the cons to exposing the creation, the People the, the think stuff? you should wear gloves in the kitchen. Oh, um, tell me happens. more. So people think that if you're not wearing gloves, you're going to kill them. Is this is that a code requirement or not? It is actually not required by any health ins inspector or code to wear gloves at all times in the kitchen. So, so when I go to an establishment and they're popping on the white glove, they're they're actually almost more sloppy with the glove on. Well, let me let me ask you something. How many times do you think that person's changed that glove? That's what I'm saying. Do you Never. know that? Because the amount Never. of times someone changes their glove in your own mind could be as many times as someone washes their hands without gloves. We have sanitized water, which is code, a sani bucket, clean towels. Because we are handling raw, raw products yeah, and exactly. there's cross-contamination. There are lots of issues. Obviously, maintaining the cleanliness of the place is pre... Like, I spend so much money on chemicals to clean that restaurant every day. Not lots of issues specifically to the restaurant. Lots of code requirements. Right, right. But we go above and... But going above and beyond that is even, is even more so. And 
Just because you're not wearing gloves doesn't mean you're not clean. In fact, when the health inspectors come through, if they see someone wearing the glove, they will actually challenge oh. them and ask them about how many times oh. they change their glove. Interesting. Because the health inspector doesn't want to see a glove that's that's not fresh. So it, it almost, in a sense, because you have this exposed kitchen, it helps keep you in check because it's more visible, even right. though, of course, you have these requirements to meet. Absolutely. But you're going above and beyond because people can see the food being made. Yeah. And that's why the open kitchen was a conscious decision was because it's going to keep us... Like being on cell phones, we work very, very hard at not having a cell phone on the line. But no, and, and, and those are the battles you have to fight. But also that keeps the managers on, on their game and that keeps everyone kind of very aware of it. And we, we work very hard to do that. So that's actually, the cell phone thing is legitimate. Like you should never touch your cell phone and then touch food. That makes a lot of sense. Right. But you should also never touch anything and touch food unless you're cleaning your hands and washing your hands. Well, because, because life is full of danger. So we talked about the design of the Ferret Street location. Um, what is the difference of your downtown location and were there things that while developing it were you like hey no never would i do that again or hey this is working uh the bar period okay the only difference in design between the second first and second was the location of the bar and how that actually determined where everything else was going to go so did you decide that you need to make the bar a prominent feature of yeah. the new restaurant because based on the location or based on the business practice of the previous restaurant? Well, we don't have a bar on Ferret. We serve alcohol. Okay. We serve full bar, full quote unquote bar. You know, we have the daiquiri machine now. So we do like hurricanes and all that kind of stuff. And it's killer. We have six draft. We're hoping to expand that um, to more, you know, and kind of like start merchandising our alcohol. You know, now that number two does what it does, we're trying to kind of like homologate everything and, 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 say like Ferret's going to have the exact level of uh, detail of drink and all of that that downtown does. Um, and Evan, our bar manager, is phenomenally talented, so he needs to be able to kind of put his stamp on Ferret as well. Um, but yeah, the bar downtown, absolutely the primary and premier design point of that space. So the downtown location, for, for those of you who do not know, is um, it's located in the South Market District, which is... It's a new hot it's booming spot. right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's booming just, right now. Everything's growing. I get kicked out of my parking lot because they're building that 29-story building. Yeah, you have the I can't even be mad about it because there's going to be like 800 people living there when it's done. And how did you decide the land in that location? Uh, they actually, I, I knew, I knew the guys for a long time. They probably we went back and forth between over like three years. It took me three years to kind of like come around to listening to them. Um, just because I was like, I don't want to talk about how much rent that's going to be, basically. Right. Well, and, and again, another big risk. Huge. Oh, um, enormous risk. Right. Uh, way more than Fred, because, you know, Fred was, you know, very affordable back, back when it was. I had, like, the greatest lease ever. But downtown, totally different ballgame. It's kind of like, I saw it as kind of big time, you know? Like, I figured that, I figured that whole area, we all kind of knew that my, my dad is my business partner. We always talked about how, like, crazy that could be down there, and... The events and the people coming through and the Hyatt doing what it did, and the, you know, all of these things that started kind of popping up and surrounding it, we were like, we needed a second location because I had so many, I have so many incredible employees, managers in particular, that I needed to find places for them. You're mentioning the bar was kind of this kind of catalyst slash aha moment. Hey, we need to, we need to make this centralized. Company Burger 2 in downtown is within a quarter mile of the Superdome. For Saints games on Sunday and any other event taking place in the Superdome, your your establishment is packed out at the bar during these. We're times. the last place you walk by before you get to the Superdome, right? You know, we're the last establishment besides the Hyatt and Bourne. 
which is also, I mean, we all just get slammed. Yeah, you get slammed. And did you? And it's awesome. And you knew that this location was going to be prime real estate for a restaurant. Right. It was sold as a restaurant. Um, the whole row, they wanted nothing but restaurants on that side. The other side was going to be like soft goods and some light retail. Uh, like the O'Keefe side where Maypop is. They had like in the Pure Bar, they wanted some like the stone free there and everything. And then across the street, they had the plans for a couple, maybe one restaurant, which is the Daily Beat and then the other retail aspects. Um, but us, I wanted that corner. I wanted the windows. I wanted to be able to see like all the action, you know, at night and lights. And also where the Daily Beat is now, when it was a parking lot in 2009, the year I moved to New Orleans, I went to every Saints game and tailgated in that parking lot. Uh, and that was like, for me coming home and being able to do that as a lifelong Saints fan, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, it was awesome. Like, I danced on the top of my buddy's Jeep the night we won the NFC Championship. It, it was meant to be. Meant to right. be infrared, meant to be downtown. It, it totally was. It was my, like, my life is incredibly prophetic in some aspects, and none more than in my business life. And I, I, it's very, I'm very fortunate to be able to, like, kind of do things in that, in that order. Uh, yeah, but downtown was, just, I just, kind of like with the way Fred was, I was like, this is, attainable now um it will grow this i i still don't think that i that any of us can really define a ceiling for what we expect out of that location and that area i mean with everything that's going on right so i mean what we had like 10 and a half 11 million people last year we we're expecting 12 to 13 in the next three years it's amazing through the city million people through the city it's that's amazing what, it's amazing what's going on with the city right now i mean um, the high has upped its game like we get they get those like small like 400 to 2,000 person conventions. Right. Um, I think there was an orthopedic surgeon convention in town in March. Man, those guys can drink. <laughs> so can forensic scientists, FYI. I didn't know this. They like the party. Well, beer and science is kind of one right. of the same, and apparently so are burgers. <laughs> right. So. It's the perfect combination. And it's like if you're not, and the, there, it was a hard, it was a risk because kind of, we kind of realized after we opened, that like we don't fall into that traditional New Orleans food category. So from you a don't. tourist perspective, it was like, why the hell would I come get a cheeseburger when I could go and go to Cochon Butcher or go to Palace Cafe or all of those traditional New Orleans spots that people go to? And I was like, oh shit, I didn't think about that. So how you, do you do you embrace the New Orleans culture in that aspect, or are you aiming to be something different? We, than we that? sell the local beer. Um, we're not too cliche New Orleans. Like I don't have a lot of fleur de lis in my business or in my life. Just because I'm from here, so I'm kind of like, I've been here my whole life. Like, I am a walking flirt I, I have, <laughs> you know, like, I have one, like, part of a tattoo on my right shoulder that, that has a flirt but it's upside down. For the record. Oh, he's been For branded. the record. Let's check it out. Oh, oh this yeah. Is, this is accurate description. We'll take a so, picture and put it on the Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can see my semi-hairy upper shoulder, which is super hot. I know everyone's Perfect. very excited Perfect. about that. But, um, but, yeah, so it was like, we were like, oh, man, like, we don't like do gumbo and, and all that. But at the same time, I had faith and I kind of expected it to be like the more longer we're down here and the more exposure we get and the more time goes by, people are going to need cheeseburgers because they're going to go out the night before. Adam, I got to say this. Anytime <laughs> I'm traveling, clearly uh, it's always great to be a tourist in your own city. But anytime I'm in another city, you want to eat their cuisine. Just like someone would want to eat the, nat the the cuisine of New Orleans, whether it's the gumbos or the crawfish or whatever that is to them. But after two days of that, you really kind of just want a cheeseburger. Well, yeah, you want to fall back on something you know will cure that hangover. Right. And the best time is Saturday at about 11.45 <laughs> or Sunday around the same time. The zombies come in. And you see it in people's eyes. 
And then it's that Bloody Mary and a cheeseburger oh, or some onion rings or mainly tater tots. Tater tots are all the, are the thing right now. And, uh, and it's, it's awesome because they're like, we just searched for cheeseburgers and you came up and then we walked here. And I'm like, great, because Ace Hotel, a lot of kids come from the Ace and, and that's been really great for us. And it works. It does and it works secure. Because it's... you need something that you can feel comfortable with. And you don't have to, go, you know, and you're going to go to Koshan later, you know, you're, or you're going right. to go eat a muffaletta later at some other point, or you put it in your bag. Like if you were smart, you'd go and put it in your bag for the air, for the plane trip back. But, but yeah, so we have filled that niche and, and we're, you know, it takes a minute for the quote, analytics and the, the algorithms to pick up on you. But once people search burger, it, it's a it's a done deal. It's safe to say that you have um, mastered the burger, but it's it's doing your business an injustice to just talk about burgers because that's not the only thing that you guys provide. You provide awesome fries and a heck of a milkshake. I got actually before this interview, you don't know this, but I got a milkshake. <laughs> Seamus yes. got it and drank half of it oh. over here. I told him to get yes. it for me, and Seamus yes. drank it. Never share your milkshake. You know that, that thing I drank is the, amazing. Which flavor? I had the, so I asked for the cookies and cream. Smart. You guys are doing the uh, butter, butterfinger. Uh, the butterfinger specialty this month, but I felt like I needed to go classic. Oh man, I right. didn't know there was butterfinger. It's so rich, so amazing. That. Can you touch a, touch base on a little bit about about those other elements outside of the cheeseburger that you guys provide? Right. So with milkshakes in particular, with milkshakes in particular, it took four years to do them. Three what? years. We did them on our soft opening, and it was a just unmitigated shit. Four show. years in the making. It, it was a nightmare. Four years for four a years. Yeah, and actually, from a design <laughs> standpoint, I had to figure out how we were going to execute it. So. That is, you know, it's, uh, it's I'm bringing it back just, to. The, I'm thinking you just get like a machine, right? You know. What yeah, mix up it's, some it's totally so parallel to architecture where you have these projects that take years to craft and then create this building and here you are doing the same thing with a milkshake which yeah. is one sixteen ounce milkshake in a paper cup with a bubble tea straw which was a huge and consideration a, by the bubble straw. tea wait, wait you bring difference. this up it really is clutch it's clutch you have to all right tell us the fuck about the well I don't want to have an aneurysm trying to get some milkshake and through some <laughs> tiny ass straw you know CFMs you know milkshake full we have to come up with a with like a shortened version of like milkshake through straw or something like MTS. You're the mad you know, scientist as opposed of milkshakes to and burgers. Well, it's all about how I like to eat, right? I mean, obviously you can, I'm not a small dude, you know, I've never been a small dude. And, and it's just kind of like, I'm, we're all fat kids on the inside. It just takes a certain <laughs> set of situ, you know, experiences to bring it out. Um, and I want to satisfy those urges of fat kiddedness. And how do you deliver as much milkshake as possible, humanly possible into your face you were doing as it. quickly as possible. <laughs> you were doing, and it. you find the largest straw you can get away with putting in a milkshake. The cause, but also because our, and it's also saying that this milkshake is going to be so thick and so delicious that you're going. It's necessity to have this straw. There's two, so we're making a bold claim. First two things that came to mind. One was, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is so sweet and like thick and like amazing. Number two was this straw is legit. I'm serious. Yeah, you want to get into your mouth faster. I have seen eight year olds murder a milkshake in about 45 <laughs> seconds. No shit. Like on for Red Street, some mom, you know, they'll come in and it'll be like three kids and they'll get their milkshakes and literally the kid will be like, I'm done. I'm like, dude, you've had your milkshake for a minute. Like you're going to die. <laughs> like your head is going to freeze. So why four years? Uh, so we did it on our soft opening and we were scooping like out of a carton. You know, we had like a, we had a mixer and, or a milkshake mixer. You know, the, the three spindles and the knee and the ham on the beach thing. And it was just, we did our soft opening. We must have done, I invited like a hundred people and like 200 showed up. Like everyone brought their friend because they knew I wouldn't care. 
And I wanted to test the whole point of a soft is to test your systems, right? That's well, we point. found out incredibly quickly that our milkshake system was crap and it wasn't going to work. So I scrapped it. I just said, we're not going to do it. We're going to do this when we can make this work. And thank God I did because knowing now, knowing now what I glad I didn't know then it would have, it would have made our, all of our products suffer. It would have made everything suffer because it's, you, you think it's a simple thing and it should, and it is, and it totally is, but not with me. Like I have, and I don't try to overcomplicate it. It just needs to be right. It needs to be right for the concept. I think all of this comes back to you being a, um, you're very, you do your homework yeah. and you're very particular about your product. He's and a it, craftsman. It shows. Well, it, it matters. And I appreciate that. And it's, like I said, it all kind of comes back to like asking yourself, what do you want? Like, what do I, I wanted pellet ice, the Scotsman pellet ice. And to that point, no one had really used, except for Sonic, they were like, oh, you want pellet ice? Go to Sonic. We're like, no, I'll come to Company Burger because it's the ice of your youth. It's chewable ice. Mm -hmm. And no one, no ice guy, ice machine guy wanted to mess with me because they were like, oh, they, they break and I'm not going to rent it to you. I'm like, cool, screw you. I'm going to go buy my own ice machine and it's going to be amazing. And that's what I did. And I spent way more money than I should have out of my budget to buy this ice machine. And not a day goes by when someone's like, oh my God, this is the best ice on earth. And it, now everyone uses it. Not that I was a trendsetter, but I just wanted what I wanted. It's very similar to snowballs, actually. Like not all snowballs are created equal in a sense of their ice matters. Right. People yeah. are very it's passionate about the snowballs here in New Orleans. Super passionate. So, so I have a question about just the broad, clearly you've already, you've honed in on, you enjoy the simplicity and mastering one or two items, one, two, three items on a menu. But as a business owner, do you feel the need to cater to different types of eaters or do you like to go with the trend? Or what is your opinion on uh, maybe something that's you're offering to vegetarians or right. vegans? First of all, gluten-free and vegan and vegan thing, like cool, do your thing. Gluten-free, obviously a serious thing. If, you've, if, you're, if you're intolerant or allergic, I totally dig it. We can never do gluten-free unless we buy it, which we're not going to do. And we can't make it because my baker's bakery is literally covered in flour all day long. So it's not a safe environment to do gluten-free anything. It's not that you don't want to provide for them. It's just that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work for what you're doing. Right. And in yeah. the beginning, and that being said, in the beginning, you know, I was younger, you know, like had less problems to worry about other than just making sure what we're, our, is on our menu is going to be amazing and just surviving the first year or two. Um, now that I'm, I think I've grown up a little bit and we're very safe and secure and to a point we, I, I have last year or two, ever since we've expanded and, and I've come to terms with the fact that we need to keep growing. Once again, going back to my fine dining background where our menu changed almost every day. Like I still get that feeling to create and to be artistic and to, to grow the business and to challenge our employees and to, to offer more. Uh, to more people and things do change around you. So you can either adapt or die. Right. And that's kind of like my man, my mantra for like the last 18 months in this, in this whole year, which is what brought me to y'all is we need to grow and we need to get cooler and better and not be 37. I'm 38 almost. And there's a whole world going on around our business that you need to consider and make and make inroads to, or else you're going to wake up one day and people aren't going to want to go to the same old company burger anymore. So does that mean that, the menu of Company Burger will change over time, or is there another? It's changing business? right now. Like we're in the process. Sorry to cut you off, but we're in the process of changing it now, in the next few months, and potentially soon, ladies and gentlemen, a veggie burger. 
I wouldn't call it a veggie burger. Oh. I would call it a vegetarian option. Vegetarian option. Okay. Yeah. But you'll be able to get it however you want it. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Or is this kind of a bigger reveal that we should, we, we well, should talk no. about later? What is the future of Company Burger 10 years from now? Where do you see the business? Is it another business? Is it still branded as the same business? Oh, it's still the same business. I want Company Burger to live on as long as people want to keep working there and eating cheeseburgers, you know, like and as long as we possibly can because it's, it supports so many people. I have to rely on them immensely and they're amazing, amazing people. And I wouldn't be where I am today without the people that work for us. Three out of my six managers have been with us, four actually have been with us for more than three years. Two have been with us for seven years. This is a, this is a huge deal so, huge because, deal. because retention rate is extremely difficult, especially your really good uh, employees, and that's fine dining, much less fast casual. Right. Where it might be your summer job, or you while know, you're in school, while you're in school, you're exactly. A lot of, a lot of in, like people that are in college, so especially got, for it. That retainage rate is pretty impressive. Well, which. I think it's a, it's a reflection of uh, the business owners, and you clearly have a passion for your food that you make. You have a passion for the ingredients, and you clearly have respect for your employees and your peers. So I think that kind of reflects yeah. off of... You know, well, and in turn, their situation and their level of comfort and security will translate to the guest and enhance and maintain your business forever. I mean, as long as they want to do it. I've always said that people can be here as long as they want to be. You know, my, I had a chef I worked for who was a little wild. And he said, you know, I don't fire anyone. They fire themselves. Mm. I'm just the one that lets them know. And that's kind of an arrogant way of saying it, which is why I don't say it that way. But, you know... You're, you're going to live by our, our set of, of ideas and, and goals and, and how we do things. Or it may not be the place for you. It's as much of a personality fit as it is applicable skills. And, and that's really important. But, but to go back to the point about... Um, the, the growth. About the growth. Like, we... Like, I didn't know anything about the finer points of branding or marketing. And, and that was before, like, social media was huge. So we've had to play... I've had to play a little catch-up, personally... Um, which uh, the social media game is incredible and super powerful, but it's amazing. also with our brand and our image and, and how we project ourselves out there, I was a little bored with it personally. Um, and we kind of went through this whole process of like, what is company burger and company burger is the company burger, but then it's also so much more. So we're trying to find a way to express that in a contemporary setting and, and redoing your menu aesthetically is a mm -hmm. big part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, redoing your website, you know, those are the things, the first things that people see. Like the first thing you walk into the doors, you, what's the first thing you want to see when you walk into a door at a burger restaurant? Right. You know, you want to see the kitchen or you want to see where you have to order or the beer, the bar downtown. So the first thing you're going to see is this gorgeous bar with all of the possibilities of cocktails and beer. You want to make sure so. you, you made the right decision. Hey, I want this burger. I right. walk in and I say, this is the place I want to eat this burger. Right. I'm going and, to be satisfied. And we're backfilling all of that kind of right now. And it's very challenging because it's a lot of questions and it's a lot of answers we don't have, we didn't have before that tell our guests that we're, we're aware of what's going on and we want to do it in the way like what we did milkshakes. We right. want to do those things in the same way with the same level of detail. Well, you clearly have a passion for what you create already. So I'm sure the vegetarian options and the new food items will be knocked out of the park. But you have your, you've had your pulse on the city and you've kind of had two home run locations of two areas that have kind of boomed in the commercial, uh, in the commercial aspect. So do you have plans for another location or where do you see New Orleans going from here? Where's, where, where's the next hot spot? 
I think the whole place is the hot. I mean, Old Metairie is seeing a lot of growth right now. That's where I grew up. My parents still live there. Uh, same house, you know, like same deal. So, you know, the Shipley Donuts just opened up in a development down there by Labar. So that's a huge area. We looked around there. And honestly, like from a third location standpoint, I think that would justify all of the uh, like infrastructure growth that we've undergone to get two locations going. And a third would be like kind of ice. Uh, icing on the cake it would really justify like having a delivery van you know having our our intercompany van and the commissary warehouse where we grind all the meat and you know make the pickles and cook the fries like third location would be ideal i follow your your instagram a lot both your personal and your business profile um both more specifically the company burger curated very well thank you um everybody loves to look at food right but lately you've been kind of um, teaming up, you had like a, a Stein's special right. burger, which I thought was fantastic. The mashups are huge. It's kind of like, it is a bit of a trend in, in the food world. People like getting together with their friends and doing fun stuff. And there's like no community that's tighter and more, you know, like more friendly than our food community here with the restaurants. Like we did the Pizzerger with Pizza Delicious because those guys are awesome. The Pizzerger, oh yes. It, it really comes from like us liking really incredible pizza, which they are, and them liking great cheeseburgers. So it kind of was like a match made in heaven. And it came from them just bringing us a couple pizzas and saying, hey, let's trade. And then one of my guys being like, my, my chef's cuisine, Joe, he's like, hey, what would happen if I put this cheeseburger in between two pieces of pepperoni pizza and it was delicious and it's a thing again that that's a reflection of just passion and craft because it's not just about who's your competitor who am i fighting against everyone's choosing to pick a meal that day but you're it's you're embracing what you enjoy it was a ton of fun so the dan steins thing and we use saint james cheese like we're doing a chicken parmesan special on wednesday right um and we're using mozzarella we got from them you know like i could order mozzarella from anywhere but like they're amazing cheese people, and they set me up with the best mozzarella that I can get. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you um, something about the fast casual market. You know, how is it slowing down, and how are you staying relevant? Now seeing how food has kind of been proliferated from the fast casual standpoint, there's a lot more competition, and there's a lot of saturation. And, and so that, that industry, that segment nationally, has seen a bit of a regression, if not flattening out. And there's also this big push now where it's kind of like these partially prepped meals being shipped right. right to your home and that's kind of in a similar price so blue, range. blue apron blue apron i think like in the beginning and halfway through 2017 blue apron was doing like half a billion dollars in sales crazy you know like and it was growing at a rate like that was completely unsustainable do you feel like that's a fad though well because and what happened with blue what they were seeing and why their stock got crushed is because they were seeing that people would stop using it after six months and they had like two or three different things come into the market that would just basically do the same thing. Right. So that whole segment kind of got like, you know, the competition took care of itself. It's kind of like canary in the coal mine. Like, hey, let's just kind of focus on what we're doing here. Get even better at what we're doing. Do this refresh. Kind of like do Company Burger 2.0, which is where, you know, what we're working on with y'all is, is so unbelievably important. Um, and kind of say, hey, this is like our new deal. So, Adam, it's been great to hear about where your business is going, and I loved hearing about your collaborations with other businesses in the restaurant world here in New Orleans, because New Orleans at its core is ultimately about food, and that's really why we wanted to bring you on. Everyone out there, if you get a chance, go try A Company Burger. You can find them on their website at thecompanyburger.com and their Insta handle at Company Burger. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Brew Carré, located in the Marigny, just outside of the French Quarter. They make delicious craft brews. Go check them out. And also, 
PJ's Coffee, located near our office at Jackson and Magazine Street here in Uptown New Orleans. Lastly, to Kyle Ortega for our intro and outro music. And as always, be sure to follow us on our Instagram handles for our latest shenanigans. Thank you for being with us, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. My pleasure has been awesome. Y'all rock. Cheers. Cheers.